Welcome back to the Wolverine.com podcast. I'm John Borton with the video edition of the podcast that I'm joined today by our honored guest, one Mr. Tom Crawford, creator of the Crawford Podcasting Network, uh, a partner of Jack Ebling and his TV endeavor, Press Pass, and uh, always enjoy all of that. And Tom, as you know, uh, if you've been a follower of this podcast for any length of time, a great contributor to what we do here. We're going to be talking Michigan football throughout today. Tom Crawford, welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's great to be back, JP. You know, we're, we're creeping uh, closer to that midway point of July. Again, not wishing away summer, but uh, with Big Ten Media Days coming up and then camp opens in, in August, uh, football is going to be mainstream here, obviously. No doubt about it. And we're going to start out on uh, on a sad note uh, in this one because someone who absolutely loved the game of football and meant a lot uh, to Michigan football for uh, decades is one Gary Oscar Moeller. And uh, we found out that yesterday he passed. Your thoughts when you think about uh, Coach Moeller and uh, what he did for and meant to Michigan football? Oh, Mo, Mo was great. I mean, I, I still go back to, uh, you know, the late 60s when he came on, when he was on Bo's staff, and then when he was a D coordinator uh, there for a few years before he made that trek to Illinois, which was a mistake, um, but hey, Bo got him back in as quarterback coach in 1980. But that when he was D.C., I think from like 74 to 76, uh, Moeller's Monsters is what uh, Bob Eufer would refer when that defense would run on the field and uh, that was a great defense. And I also, when he went back to defense in the 80s, I, and I, somebody pointed this out, that 83 game, that 83 team had a great defense. And in particular, that I know it was a loss in a Sugar Bowl to that uh, very talented Auburn team uh, of Bo Jackson, uh, Lionel James, and Tommy Agee. I mean, that, that had a potent running attack. And they just stopped them cold. They lost a tearjerker 9-7. to but that defense, I think of Mo when I think of that defense. He was a great defensive coordinator. Uh, and then another thing that I that sticks out with me on on Mo JB as I start rambling about Gary Moeller was when he came on board in 1990, and uh, after Bo retired, and that first game, I think it was the first game. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Was that opening loss to Notre Dame? They lost to Notre Dame. But uh, all of a sudden, Elvis is Elvis Gerback is throwing deep balls to Desmond Howard for touchdowns, and the offense had a whole new look. And that 1990 season was the most bizarre team. I think it was one of the greatest teams Michigan's had that had, and it had three losses. It was three and three. Remember the tear jerky loss, number one versus no one to Michigan State, 28 27. Mm-hmm. Then they lost by one point to Iowa. Uh, went, on, went on to win the Big Ten title uh, by one point, and then they got on a roll, and they ended, you know, as that offensive line was was kicked butt, and uh, they blew out Ole Miss. And I love that 90 team, and that was Moe's first team. That's Absolutely. Then that that uh, loss that you mentioned to the, the nobody was yeah. – uh, Featured fast Eddie Brown and his uh, <laughs> his quick hands that tripped up Desmond Howard in oh, the end zone. An obvious interference penalty, which was not called. And, of course, we oh. know that Michigan lost that one, lost the number one ranking and all of that. 
that uh, is goes down into Michigan Michigan State lore. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a, a personal uh, angle on Gary Moeller from the same era. You know, he comes in as head 1990. I came in as uh, editor of the Wolverine magazine in 1991, the fall of my second year. Uh, I, I was uh, doing the magazine. And we had a, uh, a good close relationship and developed a close relationship with Shem Beckler Hall. And I'll never forget going into Gary Moeller's office at one point for uh, one of our one-on-one -on -one meetings. And we sit down and he's behind his desk and he looks at me and he says, okay, I'm going to make you smart. <laughs> and I'm saying, all right, coach, let, let me have it. He said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what's really going on. And he proceeded to, uh, completely, I mean, it wasn't, but explained what was going on with certain positions, players, etc., and why some of the decisions that were being made were being made, and it was a, it was just a uh, an interesting education for someone who was fairly new to the scene on uh, on this level of college athletics, and it just uh, it it made a huge difference. You know, you'd hear people on uh, talk radio saying, "Oh, this guy ought to be playing," or "This guy yeah, yeah. would know." Uh, no, no, and here's why: I'm not, you know. I, it, it uh, was really an insight into uh, the the uh, the game, into Michigan, and into Gary Moeller that he was going to be that welcoming and uh, and insightful in those sorts of meetings. And you, uh, you know, I John, I got I want to interject. I mean, I, that tells me that Gary Moeller was a very smart man when it comes to dealing with the media. And the reason I'm an example of something, when I started covering high school, my first job in, in, in media was, uh, I was a sports writer in a passion area in Houston, Texas, where high school football, 10, 15,000 people showing up. It's huge. It's a big deal. And the, the head coach brought me in and literally did the same thing. He wanted me to know what was going on. He had me sit in on meetings to know what was going on. Because he wanted to educate me because he, it, he felt, I think, in the long term, in the long visionary aspect of it, it was in his best interest for me to be educated of what they're trying to accomplish. And I, and it, I just think it's a great relationship builder between media, uh, you were the Wolverine, and, and Gary Moeller. I, I, I think that uh, that's a great story, John. And I'm sure you had a special bond with, with Mo from that point forward. Well, there's no doubt, and you know there there's always are, are always moments with coaches, and uh, yeah, and it's that way with uh, it was that way throughout. Uh, Angelique uh, Chingelis of the Detroit News tell, posted the story this morning about at the Holiday Bowl in '94 when uh, when we were all out there, and she requested she asked Mo if uh, if she could cover practice or go to go to practice, attend practice. And uh, and she, he had gone back over to his guys, uh, his fellow coaches, and uh, and she overheard the comment from Mo 
doesn't Angelique have anything better to do? <laughs> but then he let her attend practice. And yeah. that was just how he was. I remember I was going to, I was asking him in a press conference at one point, a, uh, a kind of a leading question. And it was one that he was going to uh, disagree with my take on. And, uh, you know, he looks me square in the eye and in that press room, he kind of says, uh, well, let me say this. And you know, I like you. you know? <laughs> Look out then. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you're all wet, but, yeah. uh, but understand it's not personal. Uh, you know, there was just so many things about Mo that were uh, endearing. And you can listen to his players talk how Desmond Howard talks about how he believed in him and how other his, his defensive guys just, uh, just loved the, the defenses that he put together. And he was so passionate uh, about, football and about Michigan's rivalries. I mean, you hear you have a, a former Ohio State captain who made the same uh, move north as, as Bo Schembechler, and they, they felt the passion of that rivalry for sure. You know, uh, you mentioned Desmond, and I, I still remember a quote from him about how Mo trusted Desmond. And you've seen that Dr. Sapp video where the audio is clipped into that, the touchdown pass in the 1991 uh, Michigan Notre Dame game, uh, Gerback, you know, fourth down, Gerback to Desmond in the end zone, the Brent Musburger call, and we hear the audio clipped in on that, and it, you know, it's like you you can tell there is trust to go on fourth down and make that play, and and Desmond made that play, and you hear the reaction. That's one of those fine tinglers, a uh, kind of a perspective that most fans don't get, and uh, I th- I think that's why. Um, his players, uh, you know, admired Gary Moeller. And think about, you know, the Big Ten rings that they've had. The unfortunate ending, though, is, you know, what, what we know about, you know, 1994 um, and that led to his termination. Uh, very unfortunate, very sad. But that, that not at all, in my mind, does that uh, tarnish his legacy at Michigan and his contributions uh, uh, as a true Michigan man to the Michigan football program. Oh, there's no question about it. And then too many people, Michigan haters basically will grab onto that. And that's, that's the one thing that they remember. But uh, if you follow Michigan football at all and the players and the coaches from that time and, and those looking on understood that uh, Gary Moeller was about a whole lot more than that. And uh, you know, it's uh, as we, as we look back and remember his contributions uh, they were many and they were varied. And, you know, he uh, he even in his five years as Michigan head coach, he won three Big Ten championships. And as uh, as Mark Snyder, the former uh, free press writer, noted today, he really set the table for the uh, 1997 with some of the recruiting that he did. In those early years, he he laid the foundation uh, in recruiting for some of those upperclassmen in the '97 team that uh, that got the whole thing done. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, like I said, it was it was a different look offensively uh, for Michigan from Boas head coach to Moa's head coach, and and also I think when you know when he went to offense. Uh, there was, you know, there was a void there. I know Lloyd took over the D.C. at uh, at Michigan in 19, 1990, and that wasn't a good defense. And I think Monad working the defense and 
was was a void. I mean, I'm not not disrespecting Lloyd. Uh, Lloyd ended up being a legendary coach, but um, I just think you know when I think of Mo, I I still think of Moeller's monsters, uh, those old '70 guys uh, that became McCartney's monsters. Bill McCartney took the baton from Gary Moeller. And, uh, and, you know, obviously Bo had impact on all that and, uh, tough physical teams, uh, Mo and Bo and Lloyd, they had them all. No doubt. And our thoughts are with, uh, Gary Moeller's family and, uh, friends and all the folks that, uh, that, uh, that played for him and, and cared about him and that are hurting today. So, uh, now we're going to fast forward to another Michigan head coach who is uh, making his legacy, and that would be Jim Harbaugh, and uh, talk about the team that he is putting together for the 2022 season. And we want to talk about a little bit about this incoming class of freshmen, uh, because we're uh, we, every year we get a look at the recruiting list and who's doing what. And uh, you can get carried away with the guys who are brand new and uh, the new shiny object. And boy, these guys are going to just uh, tear it apart. And I've, I've always found that there was some really interesting insight from, uh, from our friend and the new Michigan play-by-play man for radio, one Doug Karsh, uh, he's always said, you know, I, I, I saw these guys come in, and uh, when I was a fan, I, I, I thought about, okay, well, you know, he was kind of thinking in fan mode. Well, they should all be playing right away uh, <laughs> because you'd heard so much in recruiting. Yeah. But then he, he, he would see them up close, and he said, he said this uh, – let me quote, when I was a fan, straight fan, I was so excited about the freshman, this guy, that guy, that guy. Then I was like, why aren't they playing? Why aren't they playing? When I got to the field as a sideline reporter, uh, I would look up and I'd go, oh, it's because the freshman weighs 209 pounds out of yeah. high school soaking yeah. wet. Yeah. I'll never forget seeing Dylan McCaffrey and his skinny little arms coming out from underneath his shoulder pads and thinking, did somebody lose their kid? It's yeah. shocking how physically unprepared they are. Yeah. And yeah. and now, however, about this class, he, Doug Cars, feels like there's something different. And you hear it over and over from people. And maybe it's it's how uh, things are these days with the, uh, the amount of preparation that goes into it uh, from a physical standpoint, from a weightlifting standpoint, from whatever uh, – one, this is uh, this is Doug Karsh again speaking, and that's one thing they said about this freshman class is that Darius Clemens is a man. Will Johnson is a man. The mm-hmm. freshman in the middle of the D line, Mason Graham is a man who's ready to play in the trenches as a true freshman. Apparently, Colston Loveland and Mason Graham are. So that's a different take from someone who has been a freshman playing skeptic in the past and for good reason so your thoughts about when you hear something like that uh you you need people ready to go these days for sure and i I would say that's a good sign that that this group has several that could be 
Yeah, this takes me back to a conversation I had with Mike Gittleson. You remember Mike, the strength and conditioning yeah. coach, the first ever that Bo Schembechler hired. I had him as a in, in a weightlifting class. Yes, I took a one-credit cupcake class at the CCRB when I was a senior at Michigan. And uh, Gilson told me, you know, the biggest thing we do with football players, we build their neck. We build their traps. We get them thick up because they're skinny up top. But that was back in the 70s. Now these guys are buffed. I mean, Darius Clemens, we heard about, you know, the other. you always hear from other players uh, what their reaction. This guy is cut. This guy's buffed. You know, he's jacked. I mean, he's he's put together. And he had a great spring game, a touchdown pass and that. And he's a four-star and Will Johnson – my God, it would be a shock if Will Johnson didn't play. He's a five-star. I mean, this guy is – he's a player. Uh, but you're right. Those other guys, there are going to be some names in there that we didn't really hear of that are going to emerge. It always happens. Rod Moore was one that, like, who's this guy? You know, all of a sudden he's playing that that come in midseason. And uh, not everybody's Charles Woodson where you know the guy's going to play when he came out of Fremont, Ohio. But um, I'm excited about this class. I know we're not going to get into recruiting on the 2023 class, but I hope this class, because the the 23 class is probably going to fall short of what this class is going to bring. But if this class can produce and get some freshmen that are playing incoming or future recruits are going to say, Hey, you know, if if I'm ready and I'm coming in mid, you know, mid year in January, like a lot of them do, uh, I got to and play spring ball. I got a shot to hit the field my freshman year. And, this, this class coming up here in 22 uh, might be a testimony of that. Uh, no question. And you're getting more uh, – you, you're getting a few more guys in for 23, and they uh, they definitely need to to pick up the pace there. But uh, that definitely can happen with uh, with more winning and with seeing winning. what these guys are doing. There's no doubt. Uh, I You mentioned Darius Clemens. I am very anxious to see him play because in the in – the, signing day uh, issue of this class. I had talked to uh, Darius Clemens' dad extensively and and also his personal trainer. A lot of these guys have personal yes. trainers now. And uh, and they, they both, uh, you know, if you're a dad, you're going to say it for sure and you're personally invested as a personal trainer. But mentioned how uh, you know, his he almost didn't have his junior year because they weren't going to have football in Oregon. Yeah. So how committed is this family? All right, well, we'll pack up and we'll move to, to Utah for, yeah. uh, you know, for a year so he can play there and then return back for his senior year. This this is a guy who is very, very dedicated to it. And I think you've got a class that uh, is chock full of those sorts of guys. It gets you uh, it gets you ready to see. All right. Uh, let's let's separate the hype from the uh, from the actual contributions and you know we we saw it last year with uh, with freshmen we see it every year that uh, that guys uh, are really going to come on it's not always the ones that are hyped the most either yeah and I hope to see what Darius Clemens a kid from Oregon that's a long ways away you know okay so west coast guys sometimes they get home so any well Michigan's had west coast guys before I love to see those guys have a, a solid three years and then go on to the NFL if that's their choice. But where where there's some stability so that future recruits uh, can say, hey, yeah, you go to Michigan, yeah, you can get by the homesickness, all the games are – my God, we got a couple of Big Ten teams out on the West Coast now. That's going to help uh, – you know, the footprint is expanding 
So he's an example of I hope it really succeeds for a lot of reasons that uh, if you're on the West Coast, you can go all the way to Michigan and have a great experience. And uh, maybe that'll lead to, you know, that pipeline for future recruits. Sometimes you can have a solid three years and then go on to the NFL. Sometimes you can have a completely anonymous three years and then go on to be the greatest quarterback in the history of the world. <laughs> so, I'm just saying that <laughs> there's, there's good all, one. That's good. All, all sorts of experiences yes. available. Are there, you know, you mentioned Clemens. Is there a, uh, a freshman in this group that you are particularly interested to see maybe because of what Michigan needs in this, uh, in this present setup, they've lost a lot on defense, or maybe it's because of what you heard, you've heard about the, uh, the kid himself that you are most interested to see and hear about as, uh, as training camp opens. Well, for me, it's, it's going about, I'll, I'll, I'll double down on Mason Graham. I mean, this kid's almost 300 pounds. He's a four-star and Michigan, you know, this goes back to what I saw in uh, in the Georgia game, I want I want uh, a physical, fast D line that can that can blow up the O line if that's possible, and, and you need size to do that. And he seems, as you reported, um, he he seems to be the guy. So that that's the guy that stands out with me. Um, I, but you know, I I'm I'm going to be honest with you, John, and I and I love this topic about incoming freshmen, but I just uh, I really get into the wait and see mode. Uh, you know, it, it, with these recruiting classes, even when Michigan would have a top five, and it's certainly not going to have a top five this coming year, that um, uh, I want to see it to believe it. I almost reserve judgment until I see him on the field because we have been disappointed in the past with high-ranking D-line and all kinds of, of positions at Michigan that have not panned out. But um, what, Mason Graham is that extra – he's that guy. I'm, I'm with you on that kid as far as uh, what he can do on this team. To your point there, I, uh, in the early 2000s, there was a class where we kept hearing Max Martin, Max Martin. Yes, Max, yes. Cannot miss, cannot Good miss. Good example. We didn't, hear, example. we didn't hear nearly as much as about this, this uh, fairly diminutive uh, young man out of, uh, out of the East Coast. And, uh, and Mike Hart turned out to be halfway decent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now keep in mind, though, the Tyrone Wheatleys of the world, they do happen. Well, yes. you know, that freight train coming out of Dearborn rubbish. We knew we saw him in the track. I saw him in a track meet. I thought a steam engine was flying. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in person. I've never seen a man in a high school track uniform like that. Now, that's we had high expectations and it, and it, and it turned into reality. I mean, he was. He was one of my favorite running backs of all time at Michigan was Tyrone Wheatley. So you, you do have those occasions, but you're right. You don't, you get that guy. The Mike Hart is a classic example. Cause I thought it was the same thing. Small school, kind of pudgy, kind of slow, but man, he was a grinder like no other. And what a career he had at Michigan. And now he is the running backs coach yes. and he's got plenty to work with this fall. Hey, one more note before I let you go. And it's about a topic that we've talked an awful lot about, and it's that Iowa game at Iowa, uh, Michigan's first really big test in the Big Ten season. And uh, obviously going out to play at Iowa is no easy task. It's even tougher when you have to play it uh, later in the season when the weather starts to turn or when you have to play it at night. 
and then those uh, those great Iowa fans have had a chance to uh, to get totally warmed up for the game throughout the day on Saturday. What we're hearing, we 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 cannot confirm this as of yet, but there are rumblings that uh, that may be a noon game on wow. that Saturday. What would that mean for uh, for Michigan to uh, to have that one straight up noon? Well, straight up new and toe meets leather, you know, or one o'clock as Bo would say. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, perfect for the road team. I mean, not perfect, but I mean, it's way better than that night crap. I mean, we talk about what happens at Penn State, how difficult it is there. And then I, I mean, I go back to the 2016 game playing late in the year in the cold. Remember that nightmare? Michigan could not move the ball and the crowd got into it. You give that Kinnick Stadium crowd an ounce of energy, an ounce of, of hope that their team's going to pull one of those night upsets, they are all over you. It's a bull ring. The fans are on top of you. You, as a, you can't even walk behind the Michigan bench. There's no room. It's crazy. Um, so I would love it if it's noon, um, but uh, I'm going to wait and see uh, to see if that's reality because something tells me if Michigan and Iowa run the table, that sucker is going to be a night. <laughs> I just have a gut feeling. <laughs> all right, all right. And you waited late in the podcast, but the uh, the quote of the podcast, it's better than that night crap. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the night crap when the when the team uh, wears white uniforms, as in the Michigan uh, Michigan wearing the white uniforms. I, I I you know at home that's that's fine. I still remember the Notre Dame game a couple of years ago in the rain, and it was great. Okay, Michigan mm-hmm. gets into it. Washington game, but. Uh, as a road team, uh, you're dealing with a lot of electricity, and it's hard to manage the game. Yes, sir. He's Tom Crawford. He's uh, our weekly guest on the podcast. Tom, great having you, and uh, we will do this again very soon, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Jay.